while other places have ponies or parrots, we have dragons. Hi there, and welcome to Baseball by Design. I am SportsLogos.net minor league baseball correspondent Paul Caputo, broadcasting live, as always, from the Sunday Helmet Hall of Fame in my basement in Fort Collins, Colorado. This week, we're going to be talking about the high A Dayton Dragons who play in the Midwest League in Dayton, Ohio. Later on in this episode, I'll be speaking with Terry Smith of Terry Smith Creations, who created the brand. I'll be speaking live from the Ocean City, New Jersey boardwalk with Ranger Amy Burnett. And of course, Dan Simon is back once again with his studio, Simon Stumper. Right now, I'm so happy to be joined by the Executive Vice President for the Dayton Dragons, Eric Deutsch. Eric, how are you doing? Thanks for joining me. I'm great. Thanks for having us, Paul. Appreciate that. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. This this Dayton Dragons team, this Dayton Dragons brand, has been a hallmark of minor league baseball for a couple of decades now, since 2000. And one of the sort of notable things uh, about this brand is that it has not changed much in a, in a wildly changing minor league baseball logo branding landscape. This one has been a stalwart. It has been steady and even and and unchanged. Before we get into what it actually means to the local community, can you talk about that that sort of brand equity that you all have that uh, d- that would allow you to to leave this brand unchanged for so long? Yeah, I think when uh, we started, uh, the designer Terry Smith uh, put together this mark that was not uh, cartoony, was not um, comical, not whimsical. It was more of like a cleaner, not fierce, but um, stoic looking bold dragon and and our owners fell in love with it. And I think as teams have changed names or there's been added teams, there's been a lot of um, some other logos that fit well with communities. And I think we just left ours unchanged. And I guess in the end, we just are bigger fans of how the maybe Dodgers and Yankees brand presents versus uh, some team that might have seven different, uh, different color iterations and name changes and and looks over, over time. So I think we've, we're going a little bit more, uh, narrow and deep on on the marks and logos than than others. All right, so let's get into what this brand actually means to the city of uh, Dayton, Ohio. Tell me about the dragon population in Dayton. How many kinds of dragons do you have there? Are they a big problem? Is it a nuisance for people who live in the area? Um, yeah, I think ever since that Game of Thrones show came out, we've been, you know, <laughs> a lot of people have really let their pet dragons a little bit uh, un- <laughs> unleashed, and uh, you know, we have some problems with the animal control population, but... Uh, yeah, everything everything has been good there. Uh, Komodo dragons, I think, are not good for this climate, so they they are not here. So I think all we have is uh, maybe a Chinese dragon celebration from the Chinese community, and um, you know our our mascots, Heater and Jim. That's about the only dragons you'll see around here. <laughs> there you go. It is an interesting connection. I mean, it's some people I think would see Dayton and dragons and just assume that it's the alliteration, but there is a reason for this dragons brand to exist, particularly in the city of Dayton. Can you talk about that? Well, I think there's there's a connection from when we were putting the the marks and the logos and everything. The research showed that there really wasn't a name of of dragons in any major or minor league team mark or logo. So it was it was unique and different. Mm-hmm. And that Dayton is very very proud of its aviation heritage. Uh, the Wright brothers were born here. They invented the plane here. Um, they're a little grumpy that it was test it tested in North Carolina, but I think that was <laughs> due to winds. But um, you know we were definitely first in flight here in Dayton, Ohio, and very proud of that. And we have a, a huge 
Air Force Base and a, a great defense contract uh, community here. So there's a lot of aviation technology still going on in Dayton. And so uh, the, a lot of the sports teams have had uh, aviation connections. The University of Dayton is the Flyers. We had a minor league hockey team, the Bombers. Uh, there's been some other teams that have come and gone using kind of the aviation theme. So not that that was the number one thing with what we did, because I, I think maybe the town is probably, okay, we've we've done everything aviation. Maybe there's something different. But you know, I guess one could say, hey, you know, most dragons that we know, um, besides the Komodo dragon uh, in fiction, are, are, uh, do seem to uh, fly. So I think that was a, a, a slight connection there. Is that a connection? And maybe it's been long enough now where it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter that much, but is that a connection that the that the local fans make to the fact that you are dragons, dragons fly, and Dayton has an aviation history, or is that a connection that you have to make for them, or at this point, does it not even matter anymore? I'd say it probably just not, doesn't even matter anymore. I think yeah. in 99, when the name came out, some people connected some dots, but then after a while, you know, there's, there's just not a lot of aviation themes at the ballpark with what we're doing. It's just more fun family entertainment, having a good night at the ballpark, so I think you know, overall, we're very proud of the aviation history here in Dayton and the Wright brothers, but it's it's not like a everyday occurrence uh, and definitely not with the baseball team. For sure. So I'm sure you get asked about this a lot, but uh, even eight years ago, that was 2015 when when I wrote about this team for sportslogos.net, we talked about the streak. Can you confirm that the sellout streak is intact? Yeah, it, it's still going. Um, what we did is some people asked, well, what about the COVID year? Um, we, we lost the season in 2020. So I guess everything was on pause. Mm -hmm. And then we came back in 2021. But the weird thing was we could only open at 30%. And so right. we had about uh, a fifth, a fourth of the season at 30%. And we had so many ticket buyers, we basically were sold out for the capacity that we could have. And then once sure. the COVID laws came down, um, we just kind of opened up. And then it just didn't seem fair to our community what we had built because we had no off-season sales period. We had group outings were still not a norm. COVID had wrecked so many things. So what we decided as an organization just for the community, because I think they were very proud of what they helped create, was that we'll just kind of push that year aside and we'll pick it up again when we get back to normal. So 22 was a very good year. We finished it, I think, 1,441 consecutive. And now this year, we've, uh, we've to be honest, it gets harder every year. So um, we're, we've still got some work to do later in the year in August and September. But uh, our community has responded and rallied around our, our games April through June and July. And we're sitting at 1,480 something right now. So it's it's been a good start to the year. 1,480 something sellouts. If I want to get tickets to a Dayton Dragons game, how soon, how far in advance do I need to buy tickets? Uh, I would I would say pretty early. We're definitely working, you know, six to nine months ahead uh, of, of booking tickets and, and people respond very early. So that's nice. I've been to a lot of minor league baseball games and they are usually not close to sold out. Is there? What do you attribute the uh, the popularity of the the Dragons tickets to? Um, I think there's there's a good combination. I think one we've we've got an unbelievably great community. Uh, I moved here 25 years ago, and they are huge baseball fans. They're they're in the backyard of the Cincinnati Reds market, which is the oldest major league team. So there's a lot of baseball history of you know granddads and dads taking their kids to their first game at Crosley Field and Riverfront Stadium and Synergy Field and Great American. So I think the lineage and the history of Reds baseball has, has very much educated our community as being good baseball fans. Um, two, they're, they're loyal to everything, their church, their high school, their colleges, um, their teams, uh, health issues, you know, 
walks, charities. This is a great, great community. Um, you know, it's tough to market Dayton as something like you need to come and see Dayton as like a like a Vegas or an Orlando or something. But when you live here, you really find out Dayton is a terrific community and they're very supportive. Three, I think mile lane ticket prices are very inexpensive. We have something for every walk of life. So that that's good for big business, medium-sized businesses, mom and pop shops, as well as families and individuals. Um, another thing I think we really put a big focus on the game entertainment. It's it's not about wins and losses because you don't we don't control that. There, you know, it's you get players who perform too well and and they move up. Um, so it, it's more about the entertainment, the customer service, the food and beverage experience, and how much fun you have for the game. So I, our equation is more smiles, laughs, memories versus wins and losses. Well, it sounds like a great experience. I have never been. There's been a couple of near misses with our baseball Palooza crew, uh, some college buddies of mine and I who uh, do a minor league baseball road trip every year. Uh, and we the the dragons were not in town when we were in that part of the country. So uh, you know we'll, we'll have to find a way to to get there. You mentioned the food and beverage experience. The uh, uh, the the ice cream helmet game is strong with the dragons as well. Here I have I have some green ones. I've got some orange ones in the collection back here. So you you're always sort of mixing up the ice cream helmets, which which I appreciate. Before I let you go, I did want to ask you just a a question or two more about the the brand itself. You mentioned it was created by Terry Smith Creations. The the original brand has sort of a three-quarter angle of a, a dragon. Very detailed, right? Like I when I the first thing I thought when I looked at this was this was this is great artwork and the the marks themselves certainly look like they could be simplified. But when I think about you know things like embroidery or some of the sort of finer detail that you have to work with at a logo level. There's there's more detail in your logo than I think there is in a lot of of minor league baseball logos. It's very much part of your brand that that level of detail exists, and so obviously that's a conscious decision. Is that something that you all talk about or, or you know have have to work with internally? Yeah, I think um, back in the day when the logo came out, the the cap logo has some detail with the scales and the tail, mm -hmm. and then the dragon logo. Uh, definitely has some detail with the scales and the different tones of uh, dark green and green and orange and the, the chest of the dragon. So for screen printers, I think it was a little bit easier on the CMYK process for t-shirts and other things like that. Embroidery became a little bit challenging, but I think that even now, um, you know, 20 some years later from when the logo was put together, they do a very good job on getting, you know, the technologies advanced to where some of these sellouts are really, really spot on. And then if you have an item that is is too small to replicate for the the dragon face, then that's where the the cap logo, the D logo, comes in handy as well. I feel like I know the answer to this question already, but I'm obligated to ask it. Has there ever been talk of rebranding or changing things up? Um, we had we had a designer uh, work with us a few years ago, and and he did some some softer modernizations of the marks and logos that, that came out pretty good. I think the the brand's still intact. The, nothing has dramatically changed on color scheme or or marks. It was just more of a a you know 2020 type of update. So we're we're looking at it. I don't think there's any major plans. Uh, we do have our 25th season coming up uh in 2025. So there there could be something there, but that's that's a long way out and, and we haven't discussed it much. But you can never say never. Um, but I think we like how we've gotten a little bit more Yankees and Dodgers with some of our, our marks and brands. Well, it's a classic minor league brand with a lot of brand equity. And, you know, you, you clearly don't need to be doing a lot of theme nights or alternate jerseys if you're selling out every single night. So that's uh, that, that makes a lot of sense there. 
little... yeah, interesting story about your helmets, if, if you don't mind. If I oh, keep no, absolutely, I would love. Um, so Dippin' Dots was kind of a a new um, ice cream treat in the Dayton area when we started, and so I think when we opened up the building in 2000, we had one cart, and boy, that took off and it went crazy. So by the end of the season, we had six locations and carts in the building, all selling and, Dippin' Dots. Yeah, and so I think today we still have six locations, and I think in the minor league network. I'm not sure if this is still correct, but from Dippin' Dots lore, because they're not too far here in, uh, from us in Kentucky, is that I think we're the number one Dippin' Dots seller in their minor league market. Um, and boy, it's still, you know, very, very popular. The ice cream of the future is definitely here in Dayton. And, and you know, the, there's more flavors and more colors and more options and more helmets. And it's, 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 there's no stopping Dippin' Dots in Dayton, Ohio, that's for sure. You say there's a lot of different flavors. Is there one that you are particularly fond of? Um, I, I'm not a big ice cream guy. So I, I, you know, I've also been here, you know, 20 some years. So I'm not a hot dog guy anymore. I'm not an ice cream guy. <laughs> it's like, I'm waiting for the Chinese food stand to open up. Um, <laughs> that would be appropriate. I, yeah. It seems like the cookies and cream and the Oreo ones are the most popular. I think the, the number three is the cotton candy. There's rainbow, there's mint chocolate chip, there's blue raspberry, which my son likes. And every time he gets that, it's the blue bomb has gone off on his face. He's yeah. seven. So of course he looks like the Jacksonville not. Jaguar logo. <laughs> Yep, yep. So uh, there, there's definitely many different colors for whatever your palate suits. But I think the uh, cookies and cream and the Oreo are the, definitely the number one and number two here. I like the idea of a Chinese food stand at a uh, minor league baseball stadium and perhaps even in like that sort of mid-range size helmet because there's different sized helmets. You could do, you know, I could see some low main in a helmet. That's, uh, I like this idea. So. Yeah, well, you know, there's, there's the... Uh, we could roll it out whenever the next year of the dragon is, and you know we have to teach people in Midwest to use chopsticks. The ball game could be could be something on here that you and I uh, will have to patent, and maybe we retire from our current jobs and we can roll this out to 120 minor league and 30 major league teams. So I love this idea. I wouldn't need any any financial re remuneration for it, but just if we could just say it was sponsored by Baseball by Design, the podcast, I would appreciate that. So. We'll, have to, we'll have to get the uh, the Chinese uh, phrasing for uh, your podcast as well. <laughs> oh yeah. And now I'm going to need a tattoo, I think. So, Eric, I got a lot to think about now. <laughs> Thank you so much for, <laughs> for joining me. Where can folks find the Dayton Dragons online and on social media? Sure. Um, website, DaytonDragons.com. I think we are Dragons Baseball on Facebook and Twitter. And I think we have a LinkedIn and TikTok and Instagram as well. I'm older and not as hip and cool as the younger folks listening to this for those things. So, I could be incorrect on that. They might have to search, but we are definitely out there on that. At the time of this recording, Threads is all the rage. Threads has just been launched right now as you and I uh, are recording here. So we'll, when by the time this drops, we'll see if Threads is still still the the fad. I think of Threads as clothing. That's how old I am. So <laughs> I wonder if they'll call it like uh, to your follower number. I wonder if that will be your thread count. Oh, okay. Very good. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, we'll yeah. see. I appreciate getting to feature the dragons on the on the podcast here. This has been fun. Yeah, thanks for the continued interest uh, anytime, and uh, we appreciate the time very much. All right, everyone. Welcome back. I'm super pleased right now to be welcoming to the podcast for the very first time, Terry Smith of Terry Smith Creations. Terry, I, I have to say, just going through your website here with the, the variety of artwork, fine art that you do, it's not surprising to me that this Dayton Dragons logo that you created way back in, I guess, 1999 to be introduced in, in 2000 
is uh, not your typical minor league baseball logo for sure. So just by way of introduction, and we'll talk about the various things that you're you're into, the various companies that you have. I would say most notably in terms of Terry Smith Creations, you created the logo for the San Jose Sharks of the NHL, in addition to creating the Dayton Dragons logo. So by way of that long introduction, Terry, thank you for being here. Oh, sure. Nice to be, nice to be here. This is a, a logo that you created almost a quarter century ago. I mean, it's sort of wild to say that out loud, right? But it's been it's been a long time since you created the Dayton Dragons logo. It is before this logo came into creation before the the current era of like really wacky minor league baseball logos was in in full force. I mean, this was before the El Paso Chihuahuas and the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs and the uh, Daytona Tortugas. I mean, there's a lot of sort of wackiness that has happened since then. This is a very serious logo. It's a very detailed logo, right? This is a really beautiful illustration of of a dragon. When you created this logo, and in as much as you can remember this project from from so long ago, can you tell me sort of what went into the the creation of this dragon and this brand for a, a baseball team in Dayton, Ohio? Uh, yeah, I mean, one of the approaches that I always take with the logos that we do is I like to try to do something that I feel fans can relate to. Um, a lot of times, you know, and that's why minor league logos are always a little bit of fun. Um, a lot of times if you get leg logos where the name of the team is, um, you know, esoteric, you know, uh, the storm, uh, the sun, uh, or you get things like the stealth, um, you know, a lot of times I've had to do logos like that and, and trying to come up with something tangible. So working on something like a dragon, hey, that's a lot of fun. You know what it is and you can try to do kind of a fun interpretation of it. Um, and then as far as the detail on it, uh, part of my background is illustration. So there's a fine line between design where you're creating an image with shapes um, and creating more of an illustration where you're using line. So the Dayton Dragon is kind of a combination of both. Um, but the biggest thing there is I like to give logos a personality. And so whenever you have something that is tangible, in this case, a dragon, it, you can try to give that dragon some personality through expression, et cetera. He has this dragon. I'm, I'm going to assume he, I don't know. It's uh, maybe it's, it's hard to tell with dragons, I guess. <laughs> um, but he, he's got, you know, yeah, he's sort of sinister and right. And, and everyone has seen, you know, since, since this logo was unveiled, obviously game of Thrones has come and gone and, uh, there's, you know, dragons have existed a lot in popular culture. This dragon isn't just straight up like Tyrannosaurus Rex dinosaur evil going to eat you, right? Like he's got just a little bit of a smirk. He's got, you can tell there's something going on behind the eyes there, right? Like he's, this guy is, is smart. He's not just a killing machine. To me, that's in the eyes. I, I see that. And he's got this sort of like furrowed brow. And he's not looking straight at you. He's looking at you out the sort of uh, the side of his eyes there. So is that the personality you were going for here? This guy who's, you know, not just intimidating, but a little bit sly as well? Uh, without question. It wasn't about being serious. It was more about being sly, being coy. Um, there are multiple versions of that logo. One of them, he's holding a, a flaming baseball. Um, and so, the, again, the idea, I want kids in particular um, to be able to look at it and try to figure out what he's thinking and what he's doing. 
you know, did he just light the ball on fire and he's looking at you? Um, you know, what's happening? Is he about to throw a fastball that's flaming? So the idea was not to make it real, but somewhere in between cartoony and 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 real. Uh, and like I said, give it personality. And you are correct. Um, when you do logos like this, you want the character to make eye contact with the viewer. That's what kind of, I think, makes it personal. So the fact that he's not looking straight at you, but kind of, you know, heads tilted to the side, eyes are kind of looking at you a little bit. But that's where you kind of get that little, you know, coyness, if you will, sly. Um, and then, you know, a slight smirk. Um, but yeah, I, I think part of it is you want it to be appealing and the personality to be appealing. And in this case, a dragon itself is already, you know, fierce just by the fact it's a dragon. Yeah. So there's no need to to emphasize that. So how do you make it more uh, personable and more approachable? And so that was the approach that I took. You You point out that one of the logos that you did for the dragons, he's holding a baseball. But it's different from a lot of minor league baseball logos where it's not an animal holding a baseball like a person would hold a baseball. He's again, he's looking at at you out of the side of his head and he's holding the baseball between his thumb and his forefinger and the baseball's on fire. And so it's it's not like he's trying to play baseball with you. It's almost sort of like, hey, I got your ball. Come and get it right. Like it's definitely uh, he's he's not throwing you the ball. He's not pitching the ball to you. It, I don't know. It has that feeling to me like like I got your ball. What are you going to do about it? Uh, part of the uh, what I like to do with logos that I do is I, is for teams in particular, I like to do multiple versions that essentially create a family of logos, if you think about it. So there's one that might just be the head. You know, there's one I think we did for them that's just a D with a dragon's tail. Then there's, you know, the dragon holding the ball. Um, you know, there's multiple uh, iterations or a family of marks that the team can use in a variety of ways. So that's all part of it. And so, you know, most of the time you may just see the head, you know, on a hat or use, um, you may just see the D, but at times, um, you know, when you want to have a little more fun, um, you know, you have something that, uh, that you can use in that way, you know, in, in time, if, if we had had more time and, and we're thinking it through, I probably would have created a version where you saw the whole body. You know, when we did the Sharks logo initially, as an example, you know, we just did, um, you know, kind of the one version, the head kind of coming through the triangle, biting the hockey stick in half. But over the years, we've come back and, you know, one of their, you know, more popular jerseys is you actually see the full, you know, leaping shark. So I think every logo should tell a story. And so if you look at most of the logos that I do, there is some story there. In other words, when you look at it, I want you to think about it from a story context. What's happening? What are they thinking? What What are you trying to say? So with this particular one, you know, there's a lot in that logo that lets somebody use their imagination to create their story. As I listen to you, you're creating stories based on what you're seeing. And to me, that's that's what a good logo does, especially in sports. Yeah, this one absolutely does evoke those those stories. I mean, there's this dragon daring me to come get the flaming baseball back from him before it burns up, and then we can't play baseball anymore. Yeah, um, I, I think that's more important, especially at the minor league level. Um, the storytelling that takes place in the minor leagues is, to me, uh, super important uh, to the communities, to the culture, 
you know, to the teams themselves. Um, I think you can be more generic, if you will, at the pro level. I don't like to be, but I think you can be mm. because they've got enough, you know, merchandising and television, all that kind of stuff to to drive sales. But at the minor league level, no, you need things like the Lansing lug nuts. <laughs> well, it's the reason this podcast exists, because these stories are are so much fun to tell. You mentioned that you like to do different versions of of these logos and provide options to teams when you're working on a brand. One of the things that that I've noticed, even on the on your website where you know you have this logo listed among your other work, the version that is most prominent when you click on it is a red version. The team obviously went with a green version, so the green one's on there as well. Uh, but to my understanding, you know, you you did a couple of different colored versions of this this dragon. Do those have different connotations to you? Does the red dragon have a different personality from the green dragon, even though they're, you know, identical except for the color? Yeah. I, you know, again, I don't up my, update my website very often. I haven't. <laughs> uh, but that being said, uh, I had originally, um, you know, pushed for a red dragon. Mm. Um, when I did that logo, they were um, a Cincinnati Reds affiliate. Mm. And so I thought it would be more appropriate if the colors represented um, the major league team that this was the minor league franchise of. Um, plus looking at the area where it was, um, for me, it just made more sense. Um, the team already had the colors of green and everything. I think they went with green because of the dragon, uh, but I was pushing for, um, you know, the the tie and the connection to the major league team. Um, is there a different connotation? You know, again, uh, you know, people can determine. I think that when people see the red dragon, you know, is the the red might have been seen as more evil looking potentially. Mm. Um, green might have been more friendly, you know, and I think they went with green probably because people assume a dragon is green. You know, if you think about all of the children's books and fantasy dragons and all that kind of stuff that you see, the dragon's always green. He's a big lizard. Um, and for me, you know, it's more about the fantasy. So it could have been purple, could have been yellow, could have whatever. Sure. This is this is going to be a really goofy aside here, I think. But the uh, I wrote a story about a, a minor league team called the Portland Sea Dogs. Their logo was created by a cartoonist and an illustrator named Guy Gilchrist, who, when I asked him about the Portland Sea Dogs, he said that he combined three things. He said he, was, he looked at what was popular in sports branding at that moment, and he combined, first, he draws the Nancy and Sluggo cartoons, uh, and so he took basically Sluggo, who I think is a dog, and then he took the... Uh, Chicago Bulls logo. He took the eyes, he said, from the Chicago Bulls logo. And then he took the San Jose Sharks shark breaking a bat in half and sort of incorporated that into the Harbor Seal breaking the bat in half. So the he basically says that the Portland Sea Dogs logo, which is, you know, one that I absolutely love, is is equal parts Nancy and Sluggo, Chicago Bulls and San Jose Sharks. And so it's fun all these years after I did that interview with Guy Gilchrist to be talking to you now who created the San Jose Sharks logo 
uh, about the fact that 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 influenced one of the uh, the one of my favorite minor league baseball logos, the the Portland Sea Dogs. <laughs> well, let, let me tell you that when we did the San Jose Sharks logo, um, that was very controversial, uh, oh. especially with the league. Um, you know, again, San Jose Sharks was a new franchise. Um, it was in California at the time we did that logo. Um, I, I'm trying to think what the furthest NHL team West was. There was the LA Kings, but after that, you're going to probably have to go to the Midwest mm. uh, when they moved out. So hockey has always been a, you know, Northeastern sport, mm -hmm. Canada and Northeast. Mm -hmm. And when we did that, my whole take on it was you were coming, the league was coming to California. Um, it, 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 well, it couldn't be a traditional, you know, hockey logo that, that somebody would do from the Northeast. The same thing when we did the earthquakes, a lot of sports have these traditions. So in, in soccer, it's all about the shields, kind of those coat of arms looks left over from what you see you know, from all the European soccer clubs. Mm -hmm. And in the NHL, you know, you had all of these crests that went on the jerseys that were more representative of the cities and, and tradition and all that kind of stuff. Well, San Jose did not have a hockey tradition. You know, you're in a completely new area. Also, you know, at that time, the NHL did not have a television contract. Most of the money made in in by the teams was coming through regional sales tickets putting butts in the seats and selling merchandise in your local market mm -hmm. that's how long ago this was mm -hmm. so again you know we specialize like i said in creating stuff that sells so i took that approach to that logo we needed to create something that would create interest and excitement in california out west and something that was new and unique. Now, the reason I said it was controversial is because we took the tool of their trade, a hockey stick, and we were having a character bite it in half, essentially break their tool. The league was not happy about that. Huh. Um, and they did not like the logo. Um, I give the team a lot of credit for moving forward with it anyway. It was their decision um because at that time uh nhl properties did not exist so mm -hmm. for your listeners um all of the leagues nba major league baseball nfl any the, the four major leagues have what they call a properties division this is their official licensing arm and they this means that all of the teams split the revenue that comes in from all the merchandising sales. When I created the Sharks logo, NHL properties did not exist. Mm. Therefore, whatever we created, the team owned and controlled. If the NHL properties existed today, the Sharks logo would not exist because they never would have approved it. Mm. But because the team could control it, they decided to move forward with it and um, like I said, uh, league wasn't behind it, but everybody else was. And when I say everybody else, that logo sold more merchandise before the team ever played a game. It ended up being the number, it was the number two selling sports logo when it debuted only behind the Chicago Bulls. Wow. Nobody's more powerful than Michael Jordan. I'm sorry, <laughs> but we, they had more sales worldwide. 
and the team had never even played. Um, so what it did do is it changed the way that NHL thought about, you know, what they were creating. It did bring about, because the Sharks, it was making so much money, it did bring about the existence of the NHL properties. Um, and what it also did was, um, you know, introduce some new colors and color palettes and thought processes and into, you know, sports designs. You know, that logo more than anything was probably pretty instrumental in from a professional sports standpoint. Um, so, you know, it's it's not surprising that the way that, you know, the the Portland designer thought about it was, you know, what's going to appeal. So he's mm -hmm. thinking about how are we going to sell merchandise? Yeah. And when, when sports logos were originally created, it wasn't about merchandising. Mm -hmm. It was about representing a team or an area. And what you'll see over time is which logos kind of have stayed the same, like, you know, the Yankees and things like that, you know, where they're just never going to change. And now what you're seeing is people know this is money now. And so that's part of what happened with the Sharks logo is it helped reshape, I believe, how the NHL thinks about what they do design-wise now. And the other side of this is all the leagues now have internal organizations that do all this design work. Another reason why the Sharks logo wouldn't exist. Logos today, a lot of times are designed by committee. And the logos that I do are not designed by committee. What I do is I do my research, I do my homework, um, I figure out what I think, you know, that fan base wants, I study and learn about, okay, what is in that area that people respond to and all of those kinds of things. And then I incorporate all that into something that I think people would want to wear, quite honestly. But to get back to baseball, as they are trying to reach a younger audience, trying to reach a new audience, you know, you see the rule changes, right? The pitch count, the time clocks, um, things are trying to get, you know, more stolen bases, speed up, um, you know, uh, shorten the, the time that games take to play. So I think it's just a matter of time before you will also see this, um, you know, some new approaches creep into how they present their teams and logos and that type of stuff. Well, and I think we're seeing that with the City Connect uniforms now, you know, that those have a, a, a younger appeal, I think, as, as well. Well, you know, again, timing is everything. I think there yeah. are a lot of teams. And the thing, whenever you do mess with sports logos, you know, we've, we've, we've updated, you know, a few over the years. And, you know, my advice to, you know, um, those teams that decide to do it is you, you have to be very careful depending on the loyalty of that fan base. Mm -hmm. You know, people have grown up with that logo. They know it, they associate it with it. And there are logos where people go, yeah, tired, let's change. There are mm -hmm. other logos where they're like, no, don't touch it. Yeah. Um, the Sharks was a very tricky one because that lo that original logo, you know, devout following. So when we updated that, you know, you, you get a lot of, I'm not big on social media, but, I, you know, people will call me, Terry, they hate it, you know, this and that, you know, <laughs> I just have to, you know, I always tell people, you know, most of what I do, pay, people hate or reject. <laughs> I said, but that being said, that's not how I judge it. What I judge it is on sales. Mm -hmm. And when we updated the Sharks logo, 
their sales went up 80%. Mm -hmm. So for all the complaining, you know, yep. we did our job. Well, speaking of timing, I have taken up way more of your time than I said I was going to. Uh, I thank you so much for for chatting with me. I mean, this is such a fascinating conversation about the Dragons in particular, whose brand also, by the way, has been around for a quarter century, basically unchanged. So that's, uh, you know, that's a testament to its staying power for sure. I've mentioned Terry Smith Creations already. You've got some, you know, the the logo work that you've done in sports and also some illustrations. I know that that's not your your only your only business that you've started there. You've got a couple of other things you're involved with. Where else can people find you online? Um the the terrysmithcreations.com is where they can see kind of like the sports, entertainment, video games, all that kind of stuff that we've done over the years. Uh, there's another site called imaginaryink.net, and that's uh, ink is I-N-K. Um, there they'll see, uh, I hadn't done any paintings for about uh, 25 years, and so I started doing some more paintings again. For those people out there that collected baseball cards, you know, I did the, the first uh, FLIR Pro Visions back in the early 90s, was a line I created for FLIR and was part of their baseball card sets. That was really the last time I was doing a bunch of sports paintings and we started again. So there you can see um, some of the latest NBA paintings. And then we also have um, small hyphen stars. So smallstars.com. Um, we have stylized NBA caricature. Um, they're pretty cool figures and uh, you can check that out. But those imaginary ink and small stars are part of uh, collectible stuff that uh, that we're involved in with, um, you know, with NBA right now. Fantastic. Well, such a pleasure right. to finally meet you. And, and thanks so much for, for coming on and talking about all your work and the dragons in particular. And hope I get another chance to talk to you again soon. All right. I enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thanks, Terry. Have a great one. All right, everyone. Welcome back. I am here on the Jersey Shore Boardwalk with Baseball by Design Wildlife Consultant, Ranger Amy Burnett. Ranger Amy Burnett, how you doing? Hey, good. How are you? Well, I'm doing very well. We are sitting in the shadow of Jillian's Wonderland Pier, where it has sort of a castle theme, and on the outside of the castles, we have some models, life-size models, of dragons. How do you know it's life-size? Because that's what size dragons are. Okay. And so I figured this was as good a context as any, A, to do an interview on the Jersey Shore Boardwalk in Ocean City, New Jersey, but also to have a visual perspective, to have a visual reference. And this is fun because this is the same spot where Charlie and the waitress uh, had a very special evening on an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which as you know, is one of my favorite TV shows. So Ranger Amy Burnett, welcome to the Jersey Shore. Thanks for having me, this is great. This is great. I love it here. It's one of my, my very happy places. But we're going to talk about dragons. You're so sick of me talking about birds. <laughs> well, here's another flying thing, right? And the reason that Dayton has a team named after dragons is because dragons fly. So Not me... all dragons fly. Not all dragons fly? Not all dragons fly. Well, the Dayton dragons dragon. Chinese dragons didn't fly. Is that right? Yeah. Well, okay. So let's talk about dragons what are, are they aliens are they dinosaurs what are dragons they're cryptids cryptids that means something that could exist but probably doesn't so it comes from cryptozoology it's mm. the study of things that really aren't but we kind of some of us hope that they exist well so where where did we conjure the whole idea of dragons why did we come up with dragons so there's a lot of reasons why people think that because here's the thing 
there are dragons in Europe, there are dragons from like Greek mythology, dragons from Asian textbooks. So dragons actually started in a few different places in the world sort of independently of each other. And that's what makes people think, hmm, maybe they did exist or do exist still. So so why did you know, why did people think they existed? Where did if these were popping up across cultures, why why did people think they existed? So I think that there well first off, there are a couple of different theories. Sometimes people see things like Komodo dragons that looked like real dragons. They're just like smaller version. They thought well, maybe these are baby dragons. Looked like real dragons. Looked like real dragons. Well, Komodo dragons are actually <laughs> lizards. <laughs> and then there's another theory that said that people found fossils. And when fossils are dug up, they're black, right? So that the bones are black. And some of the fossils they dug up of dinosaurs really looked like they could yeah. be dragons, which is kind of an interesting thought. Okay. So what quality, since these are fictitious animals, they are cryptids, as you say, from mm. the world of cryptozoology, what qualifies a thing as a dragon? Like in, in, if dragons existed in one culture and another culture that didn't know anything about each other, what, what makes them dragons? Yeah, you know, they're basically large lizards with horns on their heads, usually leathery wings. They have these like hard scales on their body. They have a a long, long tail with usually like a spike at the end, and then um, sharp teeth, sharp claws, uh, stand on hind legs sometimes, sometimes have more than four legs, and then um, basically just ferocious and fire breathing. And they fly. And some of them fly. Yeah. Some of them fly. The Dayton dragons fly. And it's not just that they have wings, because a lot of things have wings that don't fly. Mm -hmm. But the Dayton dragon, in particular, yeah. created by Terry Smith, Terry Smith Creations. Hi, Terry. He's, he's got this, it was great to talk to Terry, he was a very interesting guy. He's got this, not Terry, but the dragon that he created, mm -hmm. has these huge thumb and forefingers with a little baseball between them. And so, like, clearly, you know, he, he might be a little oversized for playing baseball, right? Like he can barely even mm. hold this baseball. Yeah. I'm afraid just looking at it that the baseball is going to catch fire. So yeah. what are some applications for a big, scaly-winged, fire-breathing, flying animal to play baseball? You know, I've been thinking about this. Like they have the leathery wings, so they have sort of like a built-in baseball glove that they can catch. Okay. So that'll be good. They just yeah. whoosh, catch it in their in their wings. and I mean, you'd never miss a ball that way, right? Mm -hmm. True, know, true. Insert your favorite klutzy outfielder here i have i have thoughts about this i was thinking because he's already got like the hard scaly yeah. uh, skin he's got the chest protector built in oh I so like maybe that. he's a catcher and you know he crouches down he's on his hind legs already yep. he can crouch down, he crouch down and he can you know he can offer a big target to the pitcher mm -hmm. as a catcher so i'm thinking maybe catcher I don't know what the rules are in baseball whether this has ever been addressed in the rule book but if you can actually fly could you play the outfield? Like, would you be allowed to play the outfield if you could fly? You'd probably catch all the fly balls and uh, catch them before they went out of the park. What if... Kyle Schwarber would be upset because he wouldn't be able to get his home runs anymore. <laughs> True. Well, Kyle Schwarber might lose his left field position to a uh, big old fat dragon. Yeah. What about, I wonder what the rules are in place if, if a fly ball were going over a dragon's head and he just, just singed it into ash... Yeah, just like yeah. just breathed fire up into the air, and all of a sudden the baseball was just a little little pile another, of carbon. Well, it's a good thing they have extra baseballs. You need extra baseballs, but what happens? I, in real baseball, 
if you throw your glove or some other piece of equipment at a baseball and you make contact, mm -hmm. that's a ground rule triple. Did you know that? What? No. Yeah, that's a ground I didn't know that. You can't throw your glove uh -huh. at a ball. So I think maybe if a, if a dragon turned a baseball into a smoldering pile of carbon before it could leave the ballpark, I think ground rule triple. Ground rule triple. Yeah. I like it. Um, another thing about having a baseball player dragon would be that they would just be, I mean, they're just... I don't know how good they would be on a team because they'd just be getting mad all the time. Because I think of dragons as like mad. They're always like oh. breathing fire and they just are, have this nasty disposition and they're just mad, mad. Like they wouldn't play well with others and like they'd argue with the umpire and the umpire would be like, out! And he'd be like, Whoa! and yeah. just sit, he'd just then the umpire would just be gone. And it does violate one of the rules, no smoking. <laughs> oh, nice. Did you know that, like, the baby ones, they don't really, they can only, like, breathe a little bit of fire, That's like, adorable. enough to, like, singe, I read this, singe, a, you know, like, a little pile of straw. And then the big ones, they have breath that can just, like, melt steel. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, like, as you get older, um, you can, as a, you just breathe scorching fire. If you were a baseball manager and you had dragons on your team, you should watch How to Train Your Dragon. Hmm, that's right. Oh, I did find out that um, that a dragon is a one-man dragon, so or one-woman dragon. So one person only can ride a dragon, and then they become bonded, and you, no one else can ride your dragon, which is kind of nice because you don't have to worry about having you know keys or anything like that, and someone stealing your dragon. It's just yeah. it's loyal to you. And then, after, but if you know, dragons live so long that if a person dies, then the dragon could take another, like, master kind of thing. I'm wondering if maybe my cat Yodel is part dragon. <laughs> well, she does kind of have a little bit of a, a little attitude, a catitude. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think she's going to outlive us all. I think so, too. Some yeah. of them can live to be uh, 200 years old. Cats? The dragons. But, oh, I see. Yeah. Ranger Amy Burnett. Thank you for joining me here on the Jersey Shore Boardwalk and the shadow of Jillian's Wonderland Pier, where Charlie and the waitress had a magical evening. Aww. We'll talk to you next time. Bye, everybody. Welcome back. It's time once again for Studio Simon Stumpers. I'm here with my friend, Dan Simon, of the noted design firm, Studio Simon, which has done so much work in the sports branding world including the logo for the Baseball Bucket List podcast by Anna DiTomaso, a fellow member of Curved Brim Media. And I bring that up because, Dan, this week you are wearing your Kirby Bucket logo that you created for Anna here. And uh, I'm guessing because it's green and the Dayton Dragons have a green brand. And both Kirby Bucket and Dragons are, are representative of cryptozoology uh, mythological creatures. So that that that's the connection I'm making between today's Studio Simon Stumper and the hat that you're wearing right now. That is indeed the connection. Uh, green is the predominant color in the dragon's identity. And this is an all green cap with green in the logo as well. So um, uh, I don't have any Dayton Dragons caps, although I will say I once worked on a Dayton Dragons project. It was their fifth season logo. Um, I actually feel like I did a bang up job on that and it didn't get used. So, um, huh. so that's my, my connection or lack thereof to the, to the Dayton dragons. So, all right. Well, um, but my connection today is I'm going to be asking you a studio Simon Stumper about them. So here we go. 
Um, Paul, as, as you well know, a minor league, any team's brand identity is not limited to its logo and, and uniforms. One's identity, just like even as a person or as a product, it has to do with um, one's personality, everything about the person or the product or the business. That's what makes up its brand identity. Um, and one of the things that is a big, big part of the Dayton Dragons identity is the fact that they hold the all-time professional sports record for most consecutive sellouts. In so that's where we're going with today's studio assignment, Stumper. In 2011, the Dragons broke the all-time professional sports record for most consecutive sellouts when they played their 815th consecutive sold-out game. So our question today asks, what team did they surpass? Ooh. Was it A, the Pittsburgh Penguins of the NHL, B, the Portland Trailblazers of the NBA, or C, the Boston Red Sox, of course, a Major League Baseball team. So Pittsburgh Penguins, Portland Trailblazers, or Boston Red Sox. So this was 2011 when they surpassed this record. The Red Sox were in the midst of a renaissance at that point after winning the World Series in 04 and then again in 07 on their way to winning it again in 2013. So the Red Sox feel like a team that was having a lot of success at that time. Fenway Park, but man, 162 games, 81 home games a year going back to that would have been more than a couple of decades, right? Or more than a decade. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to say it's just hard for a major league baseball team to sell out that many consecutive games. Would you say it was 800? The record that the dragon set was 815. So the previous record would have been 814. So were, did the Red Sox sell out every home game from 2001 to 2011? That that was a, a period of unprecedented success for that team. But man, like, like an August 17 Thursday afternoon game in Fenway, like there wasn't one that they didn't sell out in that stretch. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say not the Red Sox, even though I want to say the Red Sox. Portland Trailblazers, they play in Portland, Oregon, which is not known for its sports attendance prowess. With apologies to the Hillsborough Hops and the Portland Mavericks. So I'm going to say I'm, I'm feeling like probably not Portland. Any one of these feels like it could be the right answer. But but through the process of, of elimination, knowing that the Pittsburgh Penguins, and I don't know as much about hockey, but I know that the Penguins have had a lot of success. I know that the hockey arenas can be a little smaller, you know, just like the NBA arenas. I'm going to go Pittsburgh Penguins for the reasons I have elucidated. Well, the before I tell you whether you were right or wrong, I will okay. say this. The reason I chose these three teams is because they all held or hold the record in their respective 
sports. Well, actually, the Boston Red Sox wouldn't hold it in their sport, but they do hold the major league record. Hmm. So all of them do hold the record for their respective leagues, let's say. Um, And the answer to the question, surprisingly, is the Portland Trailblazers. Um, They had 814 until it was broken by the, the Dragons. The Pittsburgh Penguins had 633. Okay. Now, the Boston Red Sox had 820, which is more than the Trailblazers 814, but that would have come after the Dragons broke the record. Oh, okay. So, so and only, sl- I think only slightly after. Yeah. So, um, so interestingly, the Red Sox did have a, a, a long street where they, where they sold out 10 plus years in a row. Uh, now, there, there's a certain caveat with this whole discussion. Um, remember, there was no 2020 season. So that right. would not have ended the streak because there were no games. Right. But in 2021, yeah. there was social distancing protocols and restrictions mm-hmm. were still in place that capped attendance for at different, depending on what state you lived in, there were different some some had no caps on attendance other states had some very significant caps yeah and my understanding is in in Dayton Ohio it was capped at about 30% yeah so what the team says about that year is they quote unquote paused the streak that year because of those extenuating circumstances now whether they were technical sellouts or not, whether you know if the max capacity was thirty percent, and if they reached that max capacity, I do not know that. Eric Deutsch and I actually did talk about this, and he says they sold every available ticket, but as you say, it was only at thirty percent capacity, so they don't count those those limited attendance games uh, against or toward their streak. When you spoke with Eric, did he was the streak still active? The streak is still active, yes. Okay, because the the last thing I could find on the internet was something from around mid-June where the streak was still active at 1,441. If you count all the games since then, um, I believe we would be at 1,483, which is just absolutely freaking remarkable. It's amazing. Uh, it's amazing, isn't it? And so, yeah. I, I mean, I want to bring baseball palooza there, but like, I usually don't have to worry about can we get tickets to these games, and that would be that would be a consideration for sure going to a a Dragons game. Oh, I'm sure uh, we could still make it happen for you, Paul. Uh, <laughs> I, I know I know a guy. Do you know some people? <laughs> I feel like, by the way, I feel like maybe I should get, even though uh, you know I I didn't I didn't get the answer correct. Maybe I should get like not half a point, maybe like ten percent extra credit for saying at one point, all three of these feel like they could be the right answer. So the fact that they were the record holders in their respective leagues, you know, I feel like I feel like I, I did have a sense for that. But, uh, you know, not asking for anything I didn't earn here. I got the answer wrong for sure. OK, well, um, next week, maybe you'll start a new streak of winning. Well, I hope so. Yeah, because right now I'm on the schneid. And so I got I got to get off the schneid. It's been a few in a row that I've gotten wrong here. So. Dan, thank you so much. As always, it's always so much fun to get to hang out with you and to talk about baseball trivia and and factoids about all of these wonderful places that we get to learn about through uh, through minor league baseball. Um, the pleasure 
is shared. I was going to say the pleasure is all mine, but it's not all mine because you just expressed your pleasure. Um, so I, 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 I share that pleasure. I enjoy this very much and um, looking forward to doing it again next week. So I'll see you then. See you next week.